All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, uh, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? To sign up either for Chen's letter or my own, go to miningstocks.com, uh, or you can call our office in New York during regular business hours uh, at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. I do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. I'd like to encourage you to keep your questions uh, coming, questions, comments, criticisms, praises, what have you, to questions for taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at jtaylormedia. Uh, also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For today's show, our sponsors are Novo Resources, Cornerstone Capital Resources, and Balmoral Resources. Before I get into today's show, I do want to tell you uh, that on my website at jtaylormedia.com, I interviewed Gianni Kovacevic of Copper Bank, and uh, I have trouble pronouncing his name, as you can tell, um, but I would invite you to go there to listen to what he has to say about the future of copper in a world that is increasingly moving towards green energy. Uh, and copper, of course, uh, is, is one of those metals that's used on an ongoing basis. Uh, unlike gold, which is stored in, uh, in, in vaults, copper is it's constantly being used in industry, although right now, obviously, uh, with the slowdown in China and elsewhere, uh, there are uh, downward pressures on the on the metal, but Gianni, uh, his copper bank, which trades in Canada, is currently selling at a mere three and a half cents. Uh, it is in the process. His company is in the process of gobbling up uh, copper projects that are out of the money prospects and projects right now, with the view that when copper turns around. Uh, there will be some big profits to be made. We did the same thing with Seabridge Gold many years ago in my newsletter. One of the biggest winners I've ever had was uh, Seabridge Gold, which bought into copper, uh, into gold projects at, at that time uh, that were clearly out of the money when gold was selling at three or four hundred dollars. You needed eight or nine hundred dollar gold to make sense of them. Well, that company went out and bought those gold projects, uh, and uh, then when gold finally rose, it was a, a phenomenal success story for Seabridge Gold. I think. Uh, Giovanni Kovacevic uh, of Copper Bank has a chance to do equally well. So uh, listen to his interview with me at uh, uh, at jtaylormedia.com. 
Well, I've titled today's show, The Gods of Money, Wall Street and the Death of the American Century. My main guest today is uh, William Angdahl. He is a rare breed among historians because he is not bought and paid for by a small ruling elite that control our banking media and political system, as I'm so, I'm sorry to say it is the case of most historians these days. Well, most Ivy League historians go on to live a charmed lifestyle and publishing propaganda that helps the existing order to continue picking the pockets of common folks uh, for the benefit of Wall Street and military-industrial complex. At least that's my view and the views of many of our guests on this show. But Engdahl uh, is one Ivy Leaguer who escaped the grasp of the CFR and other related paid-for think tanks he will talk, uh, I will have William on today um, from his home in Germany where he will explain some of the main topics in his book, Gods of Money. Uh, really a very excellent read and very interesting read, agree or disagree with it, uh, fabulous book and uh, one that he is in the process of updating. Well, right now, uh, actually in about a quarter of an hour after our first break, I'm going to be talking to Brooke McDonald. He's the director uh, and President CEO of Cornerstone Capital, and his chief geologist, Yvonne Crepu, uh, he's a chief uh, with the Cornerstone Capital. Yvonne uh, will explain some of the exploration efforts of the company, but despite its very low share price, I think the stock has the potential to provide invent- investors with uh, a tenfold or better gain once the metals prices turn around. I think the reason for my optimism will become clear to you if you listen to what uh, both Brooke and Yvonne have to say. Uh, about this company's progress with their copper gold project in uh, Ecuador. So I will be talking to them after immediately after the first commercial break. But right now, I'm really happy to have with me once again Michael Oliver. Uh, before I say hello to Michael, let me encourage you to jot down his website address if you haven't already done so. Uh, and really consider going there, checking out his work, because he, he really does some outstanding work. I've really gained a lot of confidence in Michael's work. Read it every day. He sends something almost every day to his subscribers. That website is Oliver MSA, Mary Sam Albert, OliverMSA.com. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining me again today. Great to be here, Jay. Always good to have you here. We only have a few minutes, so I want to get right, cut right to the chase here on, on our favorite medals. You know, yesterday you put out a missive to your subscribers suggesting that we might look for some weakness possibly in the dollar index. What are you seeing that suggests the dollar could be nearing a, a peak here? And we have had quite a run, for sure, over the last two, three, four years, I guess it is. But what are right. you seeing uh, that really uh, can uh, cause you to think we may be seeing a top? Well, it's entirely technical. Uh, to deal with fundamentals of uh, uh, fiat currencies is like you know comparing a rotten apple and a rotten orange. Or so, you know, so it's difficult for me to get my yeah. head around that issue. The technicals are pretty clear. Several years ago, it was a very bullish situation for the dollar based on its annual momentum. It's back when it was at 77 to the low 80s on the dollar index. And we took a very uh, positive view looking out a few years. And actually, the target was 100. We, it wasn't because it was a round number. I had some swing objectives that said 100. We reached 100 in March. And since then, we've gone into a trading range in the dollar index, with lows then around 94, just below, and, and uh, highs below that 100 mark. Recently, we got back up to 98. The problem was that uh, a lot of the intermediate technicals, the things that tend to last for several months, did do some damage uh, early this week. And it looks to me like the dollar on an intermediate basis is in some trouble, and it could very well be that that high at 100 was it. Uh, not that when you make a high in a market you have to precipitously collapse, but you you, know, you make a high and you do enough damage after the high, then you look back and say, well, that was it. 
if this decline um, picks up some steam, and I think it has a chance, I think on the other side of that balance, you'll th- see things like the yen, which has uh, technical potentials, in my view, that could be quite strong, which would be destabilizing for the Nikkei, of course. But gold and silver look like they should benefit from it. Uh, they have, after all, if you go back three years or so, well, where was gold? It was as high, and that's the point where the dollar turned up through its annual momentum structure. So there is some inverse relationship there that's pretty solid. So if the dollar, in fact, has had its party, peak in March of this year at 100, and done enough topping action to turn down, uh, not, and not that it has to be precipitous, just, just turn down, I think the beneficiaries will be gold and silver on the front end of the commodity spectrum. Uh, other commodity markets might be benefited by a softening dollar, which, by the way, nobody's looking for. All of these Wall Street guys that got bullish on the dollar did so this last year or so. I mean, it was, they were late to the party, and they're mm-hmm. still bullish on it. Uh, haven't, in fact, I haven't seen anybody lately looking for weakness, which, which I'm looking for right now. But I think on a near-term basis, that could definitely scoot gold and, and silver up out of this hole. Uh, and I, so I, I think that, that balance is important, uh, that if the dollar does weaken, I think gold will get some benefit. Uh, and mm-hmm. possibly enough to put it far enough off its low in terms of my momentum work uh, to not revisit the low again. All right. What are some key numbers for gold that you're looking for well, right they, now, they Michael, to make you confident week. that we're on to something yeah. better and uh, for the bulls? Well, the, right now, I'd say you get up to 1130 to 1140 zone. You've probably uh, rescued yourself enough at that point not to come back through the low. I've got some uh, what I'd call intermediate-term positive breakouts that occur there, not on price charts, but on momentum. I've got three layers, actually. I've got a 10-page report I put out last weekend, more or less a hand-holding report to investors about how do I get long gold or silver or the gold miners. And it took me about 10 pages to lay out the roadmap. And mm-hmm. it's a layered process, so there's no, not one magical number. But sure. I have three, three numbers that if you go through them, each hurdle that you go through, your confidence rises. The highest number I've got applicable to this quarter is 1233. Uh, next quarter, that number will adjust down to about 1210. That's the highest number. But mm. between uh, here and there, we've got the, I think the 1130, 1140 zone it looks very potent. Uh, we've been up over 1100 the last few days, uh, intraday. So mm-hmm. we're talking a couple percent beyond this week's high. You start mm-hmm. to engage some positive factors. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, 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 won't, it won't take a lot. So if the dollar does weaken, uh, and it started to, it's already dropped a point and a half from that recent high. Uh, 98 down to 96.5, that uh, this, the goal could scoot up out of here. And frankly, I don't see many people looking for that uh, any kind of sharp dollar weakness, and most people are not looking for a gold recovery. No. You know, the no, crowd out there is now, you know, it's 800 to 1,000. And, yeah, you know, and if you ever got there, it would be 600 or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah, in fact, what we've seen yeah. recently, uh, you know, reports that uh, hedge funds are a uh, first time ever net low, a uh, net short on gold. So I would think, Michael, also that this could tie in, uh, you know, the, the bullishness for the dollar is tied in with this sort of belief in the. Uh, in the tooth fairy, that the that the Federal Reserve actually has things under control, they're going to be able to raise interest rates. Of course, the interest rates, mm-hmm. uh, the they keep getting delayed interest rate rises, and I have my doubts. Uh, but that could be that's, why the dollar is weakening. It's potential yeah. because after all, the of the central banks around the world that are count Japan, Europe, and us, uh, those two are on on a downside still in terms of rate direction. What they're trying to achieve anyway, it's not occurring yeah. because the market's yeah. broken from them, but. 
Our central bank is presumably more neutral in that issue. Well, that's boosted the dollar because the perception of our rates will be uh, higher than other rates, therefore makes yeah. the dollar more attractive. Well, yeah. what if this is, that's not going to happen? Yeah. And I suspect well, it's not going to happen. And well, you and I are yeah, you and I are on the same page on that, Michael. I, I just, yeah. you know, we've had delay after delay, delay after delay since, uh, you know, since we've been promised in Bernanke's days higher rates, and they just don't come because the the economy, in my view, is so wretched. Uh, they can't afford to raise rates, but that's 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 a that's a fundamentalist speaking. And you let the, uh, you know, you let the truth machine. That is the machine that comes the the truth that comes through the numbers uh, that you. Uh, uh, pull together for us so kindly. Thank you very much. Michael, for those uh, insights, we are out of time, unfortunately, but we do hope to have you back for a little longer next week, uh, and we can pick your brains uh, more extensively next Look week if you're willing it. to let Look us do that. Thank Thanks you very sure. much. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Michael, for being with us. Well, folks, don't go away, because coming back right after the break, I'm going to be talking to Brooke McDonald and Yvonne Krupu of the uh, of Cornerstone Capital. Very exciting story there. Uh, you wouldn't think so from the stock price, But if you look at the fundamentals of this project, uh, I think you can't help but get excited. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Brooke McDonald and Yvonne Kripu. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have with me again today, uh, Brooke McDonald. He's the president and CEO of Cornerstone Capital and uh, the company's chief geologist, uh, uh, namely Yvonne Crapu. Both uh, of their bios appear on this show's webpage uh, at the Voice America website. So I would encourage you to go there to read, uh, to read them and get an appreciation for both men's backgrounds. They have very extensive uh, professionals that have been in the mining business for many years uh, and bring with them a wealth of talent uh, to help the shareholders. Well, the, the, the shares of, uh, of Cornerstone Capital, like many in the resource, well, not many, almost all of them in the resource sector, have really been taken down hard. Uh, and I would submit to you, my listeners, that that provides a great 
potential opportunity, not because they're low priced, because you can buy low priced companies without any value, but look for companies that are low priced where the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater, where there's a lot of value uh, and a very low price. In my view, I think that is the case with Cornerstone Capital, and I uh, hope to uh, have that become very clear to you as uh, as we talk uh, to Brooke and to Yvonne. Uh, there's 190 million shares outstanding, uh, trading at around, uh, I don't know, two, three cents Canadian. It gives it a market cap, of, as I look at it, in U.S. dollars of only around $3 million. And I think that is, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, well, I just, it's just ridiculous. That's what I think. So, uh, welcome, Brooke, and, and welcome, Yvonne, both of you, to, uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. It's good to have you with me again. Thank you, Jay. Really good to have both of you. Now, uh, Brooke, I know that the copper price, you know, I mean, it's just getting, it seems almost every day it's down. I think maybe today it's up, but copper is selling at lower and lower prices. Uh, you know, the market is suggesting also the cornerstone capital isn't worth very much. As I just uh, noted, about $3 million in U.S. money market cap right now. Uh, what what can you what are your thoughts about the future of Cornerstone given the current uh, lack of appetite for the stock and for copper? Uh, what what are your thoughts about the future for your company? Well, uh, f- first of all, Jay, for for some of your listeners uh, who don't know who we are, we're a project generator, uh, basically looking for gold and copper projects in Ecuador and uh, Chile. Um, we have been beaten up uh, as of late. And um, we're, we're trying to focus on the things that are within our control right now, uh, the fundamentals, which uh, we, we signed a letter of intent with the state mining company, uh, Anami, uh, the very first company ever to do such a thing. Uh, the only other strategic association Anami has with another company is with Cadelco, the mm. Chilean state company. Huge company. Uh, and... Um, We've been working on this for a year and a half, negotiating. I uh, I just sent back a uh, another draft of the definitive agreement uh, last week, and uh, so we're we're getting close to signing the definitive agreement. We've also uh, sent a, a proposal to over fifteen major mining companies active in South America who have uh, generative exploration budgets for early stage projects trying to interest them in this opportunity. Uh, We signed a few confidentiality agreements, given the data out to some, and some uh, have agreed to make site visits to Ecuador in the coming months. So uh, we think eventually we'll get one or more partners. Um, The the deal with ANAMI, basically people have to understand Ecuador was off limits to exploration for many years because the mining law uh, could not guarantee you proper title until about the middle 19, mid-90s. And then companies, uh, they changed the law, uh, brought in more legal certainty to the concession-granting process, and companies started coming back in. Um, currently in Ecuador, <coughs> in not, you can't apply for ground anywhere in the country by staking. But the state mining company has a priority right to get any, anything it wants anywhere as long as it's not in a national f- a park or a, an ecological reserve. And so the idea of this uh, strategic association is that we would identify areas between five and 50,000 hectares that we would want to reserve for prospecting, and then we would whittle it down to smaller areas of maybe five or 10,000 hectares that we would apply for concessions 
and ANAMI would apply for the concessions because they're not open for anybody to do. And then we would find a company with deeper pockets to fund the expiration, and at the end of the day, ANAMI would end up with uh, 16% interest in um, any projects that go forward, uh, and the, uh, the funding partner with uh, some kind of a majority stake, cornerstone somewhere in the middle, depending on what we negotiate. Mm-hmm. So this is, what, this is a kind of a, an opportunity, we think. Uh, only 5% of Ecuador has been systematically explored. Uh, it's the, really the last underexplored country in the Andes uh, where mineral uh, deposits still outcrop its surface. And we think uh, for uh, a relatively low uh, investment and risk that some of these bigger companies might be able to find world-class deposits at much less cost and with much less time than in more mature geological uh, jurisdictions like Peru and Chile that have been explored for years, raked over, and uh, things are much more expensive. So we're focused on that. The other, the other thing that's happened is that the Ecuadorian government has reduced the overall tax burden from about 37% of the gross revenues of a hypothetical major mining project to about 27%, bringing it in line with uh, <clears throat> the average of a five-country comparator group of uh, Brazil, Peru, Chile, Mexico, and Colombia. And the government rolled out those uh, changes at the PDAC convention in Toronto in March. And uh, so and those are the things that we can do that we uh, can control. The other things we're doing is keeping costs as low as possible. We've laid off more people. Um, we have done some, some work. We have three properties that are, about, uh, that are 100% owned. They're, they're drill ready. So all we really need is to attract some funding partners, and I think uh, the rest will take care of itself. The, some of the, the geologists love, love the rocks, and they love the projects. Uh, uh, many of them were not aware that the Ecuadorian government had reduced the taxes, and, uh, and so some of them are telling us, well, I need to get this, I need to have my head office sign off on uh, Ecuador as a place that's uh, okay to go and invest in again, and that's where we are right now. But I, I think that's going to happen. Word is getting out, and I think that uh, that is what we're going to focus on. Well, it seems to me, uh, you know, I'm not a geologist, but when I look at some of the intercepts, uh, some of the assays that have come back uh, from this uh, copper-gold porphyry deposit, they are absolutely phenomenal. And I can't imagine uh, if the proper legal structure is in place that there wouldn't be some major mining companies very much interested in what uh, in what's going on there. Now, I believe that you have a joint venture partner that is spending money uh, to progress this project, uh, and you have a 15% carried interest in it as it stands now. Uh, how, how much is your joint venture partner, uh, how much is being spent there? I noticed the other day that you had taken on a second drill rig. So how much are you spending there now? How much is being spent to continue to drill this, this project? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we had a news release out yesterday, Jay, uh, announcing... Um, an update on the hole 12, the 12th hole uh, being drilled at Cascabel, and uh, the, that a, a second rig, had been mobil- rig has been mobilized to site. Um, Sal Gold, which is funding 100% of the exploration and Cornerstone has a 15% interest carried through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Sal Gold is um, an AIM or uh, London Stock Exchange junior market um, listed Australian company. The, the holes here are deep. Uh, they're down, they go down as far as 1,600 meters. 
uh, at two and a half times the, the height of the CN Tower in, in Toronto to give you an idea how deep these things are. And um, uh, I think the holes must be, I can, Ivan can confirm this later. I think each hole is probably costing about $700,000 uh, uh, more or less mm-hmm. uh, to drill. Um, within the, uh, Cascabel is an interesting private, 5,000 hectares. It has four uh, golden-rich copper porphyry targets on it and one epithermal target. All the drilling is so far has concentrated on one target called Alpala. The fifth hole of the uh, was a discovery hole March of last year and returned assays of over 1,300 meters grading um, about six-tenths of a percent copper mm. and uh, half, a, half a gram per ton gold. Wow. Um, or almost uh, a one percent copper equivalent over okay. that with an included intercept of something like 700 uh, meters at almost uh, 1% copper and 1 gram per ton gold. Uh, the ninth hole, uh, the hole 7, uh, was over a kilometer of a half uh, a percent copper equivalent, and hole 9 was better than the discovery hole 5. Wow. Uh, so Ivan uh, can speak more to this, and Cascabel is something, th- this is... This is this is a, a, an example of the kind of things we think we can do for shareholders in, in a place like Ecuador. We acquired the rights to Cascabel in uh, 2011. We, we bought uh, 100% of the property for $20,000. <laughs> uh, and then we, did, we bought shares of the company that, that held it, mainly because when you buy concessions, you have to get approvals from the government, and then you got to get all your permits approval. If you buy the shares, everything flows with it, and it's much simpler, but in order to make sure that, that uh, the company was clean, we did another $60,000 worth of due diligence on the company. So for $80,000, we got what uh, could be, uh, and this is a, a forward-looking statement, and I see safe, safe harbor, but it, this, this could be a world-class um, deposit uh, someday. Uh, that, that a major mining company would be interested in developing. The Sal Gold's idea right now, uh, I think initially they were talking about eventually drilling off all the uh, targets and finding out what kind of a resource there really is there. And then when the market stayed down so long, I think they realized that people were not believing that would be possible for a small company to raise all that money for all that drilling. So the strategy has changed now, and they've announced that what they're looking for now within the next 12 or so months is uh, an inferred resource um, with uh, wide space drilling Mm -hmm. of around 85 million tons of 3% copper equivalent material. Wow. Um, And then uh, hopefully that will catch the attention of major mining companies uh, the corporate development people who might want to take a look and see what Cascavel could become for a major mining company. All right, that's that's that would be very impressive, obviously. And and let me ask you, Yvonne, we only have a couple of minutes left here. Uh, can you give our listeners a sense of the dimensions of this deposit now? So far, I know I believe you're on you're starting hole number twelve now. So could you give us a sense of what is the, the sort of the lateral extent as well as the vertical dimensions of this, uh, of this deposit thus far? Yes, good afternoon, uh, Jay and the listeners. Okay. 
Um, dimensions, but they are not well defined yet. Okay, drilling is is ongoing. Okay, and uh, it's going to take some time before okay finding the limits of this uh, the Alpala Amirai zone. But we have at least okay mineralization that have been found over what uh, uh, three four hundred meters long. Okay, by uh, between fifty and one hundred fifty meters wide. Okay, the western part. Okay of what could be deposit, okay, is, is deep, is high grade, okay, we're talking between 500 and 1500 meters depth. Uh, mm-hmm. but the good thing about the last news release, the one that uh, uh, has been released yesterday, okay, morning, is that, uh, you know, surface work, okay, identified, okay, some, some organization right on surface, okay, trenching, okay, has been, has been done by, by Solgold, okay, and uh, could find some mineralized outcrop, okay, that could mean, okay, that going, this is southwest of the, the, the zone that has been drilled so far, okay, mm-hmm. just on top, okay, of hole number 12 that is currently being drilled. What that means is that, okay, there could be, okay, some closer to surface or close to surface, okay, uh, copper gold mineralization, okay, going southwest. This, of course, has to be tested, okay, it could take some time, but indication, okay, from Hole number 12, okay, that's been uh, released yesterday morning, is that uh, close to surface, okay, drilling has, in, has uh, intersected, okay, some copper mineralization. There's no acid results, okay, in the trenches. There's no, okay, acid results from uh, drill hole number 12. But copper, you can see it, okay, you can estimate it, okay. There's, okay, some indication that there could be uh, close to surface organization going southwest. This is, this is a good thing, okay, in the sense that uh, uh, that could change if, if confirmed, okay, if there's, if there's sufficient intersection, maybe a resource defined, that could mean a different story, okay, for, for how the, uh, the Cascabel project in the Alpala okay, zone. Because the deep drilling or the high, uh, high grade, okay, that we, we have so far, as it was deep, Okay, we had to think about, you know, an underground operation uh, that probably still the case, okay, in the northwestern part, but the southeast, okay, it looks like if the migration comes close to surface, okay, mm-hmm. there could be a different story that develops okay, in this part of the, uh, of the zone. Uh huh. So, uh, with just uh, less than a minute left, uh, do you? So, do you see uh, more work going on then to see if you might be able to outline something closer to surface that would require less capital uh, to get started here? Is that is that the goal now? One of the goals, yes. at least. One of the goals, okay, because there will be two rigs in a few weeks from now. The second rig should be okay, in operation. Okay, one of the rigs okay, will, will, will be okay, busy at drilling in the northwest part of the, uh, the deposit. Okay? And the second rig okay, should be busy at drilling okay, the, uh, the area to the southeast. And there will be, at the same time, there will be some more trenching being done. Okay? And hopefully, okay, uh, with uh, good results. Okay? And then, if it is, okay, we may have okay, some results close to the surface in this part of the property. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is a very exciting story. I know the market doesn't seem to care much for it right now, but as a person that's been around these markets for 30, 40 years, uh, I, you know, these are some of the best numbers I've seen. Uh, and it, it is really an exciting project. I think if you get comfortable with Ecuadorian risk and so forth. Let me just uh, ask you, Brooke, just, we do have to close now, but let me just ask you, what uh, should our listeners keep their eyes on in the coming months, what drivers might actually cause uh, people to take some interest in your share price? 
I think uh, if we're able to attract a funding partner for the Strategic Exploration Association with ANAMI, that would be one driver. Um, continuing good results from Cascable uh, coming out of the second rig. Um, and, uh, and, and, and drilling uh, Arvadis Grande's property down uh, to the west of Cuenca we're able to get a partner for that because uh, uh, Vetus Grandes, we, we think, uh, is, is a smaller project uh, compared to Cascable. It's more of an epithermal uh, gold-silver uh, system. But uh, the drilling there would be 250 to 300 meters deep, and uh, we, we think that there's potential there for at least a million ounces of, of gold. Oh, very interesting. And I noticed also something called the Cana Bravo property. You had some uh, surface uh, gold samples that were very high there, too. So yeah, you have a lot going on. Huh? Yeah. Yes, we do. You, you have a lot going on besides uh, your flagship property. But, uh, again, you don't have to spend money to keep these things going or very little money because you are a project generator. You get other people to spend money. Uh, and develop these projects and, and with a carried interest. So I think it's very worthwhile. I hope folks will pay some attention. Uh, listeners out there, uh, you know, go out and uh, the website, uh, just tell us the website where people can go to follow what you're doing. It's uh, cornerstoneresources.com. Cornerstoneresources.com. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Brooke and Yvonne, for being with me today. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, we'll look to keep up with your story going forward in the future. Thank you so much for being with Thanks, us today. Jay. Uh, folks, well, don't go away. We do have to go to commercial breakdown. When we come back, uh, William Engdahl would be with me. He's the author of Gods of Money. He'll give you his views about how Wall Street is not only not, not building the United States, but in fact destroying our economy and our country. Uh, I think you can't afford to miss what he has to say. Very important stuff, so don't go away. We'll be right back with William Engdahl. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. SXV and CTNXF on the OTC. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time William Engdahl. You know, William Engdahl is an award-winning geopolitical analyst, a strategic risk consultant, author, professor, and lecturer. And after earning a degree in politics from Princeton University and graduate study in comparative economics at Stockholm University, he worked as an economist and investigative freelance journalist in New York and Europe. And he has uh, is the author of a couple of books that I'm familiar with, one I've had on my shelf for a while called A Century of War, and more recently the one I want to talk to him today about, Gods of Money, Wall Street and the Death of the American Century. Uh, I would encourage those of you, uh, the, uh, the, our listeners, go to the Voice America website, go to my page at the Voice America website to read more about uh, Mr. Engdahl's background. He has a very impressive background. Uh, I think what's most impressive to me is I view him as a historian who has not been bought and paid for by the ruling elite. Uh, and, uh, you know, as I said, a Princeton uh, educated gentleman uh, also which is impressive because it seems to me that most of the people that come from Harvard, Princeton, and Yale end up in the clutches of, uh, of people with big bucks uh, that, uh, that sort of control what they have to say. Well, uh, from what I can see, Mr. Engdahl is an independent journalist, an independent uh, thinker, uh, and that's what we like most on this show are people that aren't, uh, that aren't bought and paid for. So thank you very much for joining me today, William. It's great to have you with me. I'm really pleased and excited about talking to you in person, finally. Well, thank you. Yeah. Really great to have you with me. In the introduction to your book, The Gods of Money, you quoted the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Specifically, you quoted Matthew 6.24, which records the words of Jesus when he said, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And you go on to say, and I quote, from the very beginnings of the founding of the United States as a constitutional republic in 1789 following the War of Independence against Great Britain, powerful money interests resolved that biblical, resolved that biblical conflict by anointing themselves as simply the gods of money, a higher law unto mm-hmm. themselves above all other mere mortals. Step by step through the power of their money, they sought to corrupt the foundations of the Constitution, attempting to recoup the credit and financial fraud what they had lost on the field of battle back in 1776. So America kicked the King of England out of uh, the colonies in 1776, and a government by the people, for the people, was established uh, by some, I think, very brave men who risked their lives to take on the mighty King of England, and a long list of grievances were listed in that Declaration of Independence. Uh, It clearly noted that our rights do not come from the King of England, but from the Creator of the universe, uh, which to Jews and Christians at least meant God. Uh, so here, here's the question. The final sentence uh, in the introduction to your book, you state, and I quote, only when a disease is fully diagnosed and understood can it be treated. This book is an attempt to help ordinary citizens in that diagnosis, end of quote. So it, it seems to me, uh, at least in part, at the heart of what you are talking about is a spiritual battle 
which has massive implications for the social fabric of America and indeed the Western world. Would you agree with that? Am I reading that properly? Most definitely, uh, even more so than when I wrote those words uh, uh, six or seven years ago. Um, It's a spiritual battle. I I wrote in a recent article uh, online that was published uh, that America has lost its soul. Maybe it's uh, to an extreme a judgment, but uh, it's very close to losing our soul. And nations have a soul just as individuals have a soul, in my Mm -hmm. view. And that soul is the combined action of a nation in the world toward other human beings, toward other nations, toward themselves. And the consequence of these endless wars that we have uh, gone into since... Well, just take the period since World War II as a starting point. Mm-hmm. And the Korean War, the Vietnam War, uh, many Iraq. proxy wars, and then Iraq, and then uh, the Iran-Iraq War, which the U.S. covertly backed on both sides in the 80s. Uh, then the Afghan War, and now the Syrian War, and now the uh, Ukraine War, and one after the other. And it's just uh, all of these wars. There is no one who wins in a war. No one who wins in any single war in human history. Uh, It's all a losing proposition. So uh, you have to defend yourself. If if you're really a nation threatened and so forth uh, with your life existence, of course you have to defend yourself. Like... Uh, when a a killer approaches us with a knife or a gun in a dark alley, you have to defend yourself for your life. But uh, to be the one who instigates a war, a war for democracy, a war for human rights, a war for uh, who knows what in Iraq, and the problem is the American people don't even know what they're warring for. No. They get so... so, uh, hypnotized into this uh, this energy of making wars that we uh, you know think maybe maybe there's something necessary and it's uh, it's a great tragedy well it seems to me that most people aren't thinking very much at all uh, we have the mass media that basically sets the table and you have Democrats and Republicans both agreeing that we need a war for whatever reason, it, it makes no sense. But uh, let's uh, cut back to the economics because your book uh, is talking about the gods of money. And, uh, you know, in your quote from Matthew, the notion that you can't serve two masters. And, and certainly in the Bible, it talks so much about money. Money is really the god of, of so many people. I think increasingly in the Western world, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's mammon. It's, it's the god of materialism instead of, and we have, I believe, I agree with you, that we've lost our soul. But going to the biblical concept from the Ten Commandments, certainly one of those commandments was thou shalt not steal. In other words, the idea of private property, what you earned is yours, it's, it's your right, it's your property. It seems clear to me that what bankers are doing is stealing from the public through the use of fiat money. And of course, we went off the gold standard, went off the silver standard. Uh, of course, the public is totally ignorant, as ignorant about money as they are about war, as you were suggesting. We're ignorant about these wars we're entering into. Uh, but do, do you think that this is, uh, is sort of at the heart of it, the, the monetary system that we have, 
that actually enables the wars to go on and on as well and allows people to think they can have something for nothing. So do you think this could be one of the basic uh, problems or one of the basic uh, sins, if you want to use that word, uh, that is destroying our soul? Is this notion of, of fiat money or the notion that you can have something without working for it? Well, the whole question of, of uh, money, I think, is, is grossly misunderstood throughout history. But uh, Henry Kissinger, one of the keynotes of, of writing the book, was, was part of a trilogy where Kissinger in the 70s said, uh, if you control oil, you control entire nations. Mm-hmm. If you control food, you control the people. That's the whole background to my book on genetic manipulation, the seeds of destruction. Uh, the first one is the uh, American century Anglo-American oil politics. Uh, and then he said, if you control money, you control the entire world. And that has been since Bretton Woods in 1944 established the dollar as the kingpin of the, the world monetary system. That has been the goal of, of these so-called gods of money. They're not gods. They're pathetic uh, uh, characters, but uh, they put themselves in a position and we worship them as gods. That's that's the problem. We're hypnotized by their power. Uh, a Warren Buffett, a, a, a Bill Gates, a George Soros, a David Rockefeller. Oh, they are so rich. They must be very intelligent, very good, very wise. And uh, so we give them the power. We give them the power, and if we, if we were to take that away, they would have no influence on the destiny of America. But today, America is an oligarchy. Now, there's a study done by uh, recently by a Princeton professor from my alma mater who analyzed uh, major laws passed by the Congress since 19... 19- 80, I believe, up until 2012, thereabouts. And he came to the conclusion that all of the major legislation affecting economics, income distribution, and so forth, passed by the Congress since 1980, was to the benefit of the 1%. That America is ruled by an oligarchy. An oligarchy of uh, an elite of enormous financial power. And it's no accident that the campaign financing laws today favor big money contributions. It's no longer a democratic process to elect a president. Hillary Clinton has billionaires lined up against the wall. Jeb Bush has billionaires against the wall. So do almost all of the other candidates. Otherwise, they don't even get into the starting gate. And that's a sad commentary on what America has become over the last 40 years. Uh, indeed. And, but we, as you point out in your book, uh, we had a revolution, 1776, in which we were supposed to have fixed that sort of thing. I mean, this is nothing new under the sun, as it says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, you know, human beings have been the same. But we did have a revolution in 1776 uh, that gave, at least temporarily to a certain extent, gave the government to the people. We were a republic. We weren't ever uh, supposed to be a democracy. Uh, Wilson got us into the First World War uh, to save the world uh, for democracy or some such slogan like that, which was a lot of baloney, of course. But um, 
what, what happened? And, and do, you, do you see the same sort of money to interest uh, that were involved previous to World War I and World War II are now back in control again? Well, they never got out of control, really. The, uh, the creation of the Federal Reserve in December 1913 was a coup d'etat by Wall Street, by the House of Morgan, by the House of Rockefeller, uh, by the great international investment banks. Uh, they hijacked the Constitution of the United States. Uh, the Congress has the power to print and coin money, not a private own Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve, most people don't realize, is privately owned by, by bankers, by financial interests, and not by the American people. So, of course, when the financial crisis explodes like it did in 2007-2008, the Federal Reserve is going to act in the interest of the private money, in the interest of Goldman Sachs, of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, of Citigroup, and the others, the Bank of America. And we have spent trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars bailing out these corrupt criminal organizations instead of doing what the, the good people in Iceland did with their banking crisis when their bankers did a similar thing. <coughs> after, after some back and forth and some debates about uh, going with the International Monetary Fund and uh, destroying the Iceland economy to pay for the crimes of the private bankers, the people of Iceland demanded that their government bring to trial the people responsible for the crisis, put them in jail where they're guilty of crimes, which they did, including the former prime minister, whose cronies headed up the uh, private banks, uh, and they were all part of a collusion. So what major banker responsible for the crisis of 2007-2008, the biggest financial collapse in human history has even been charged with a crime. And, yeah, you know, it, there's a disconnect of reality here. Oh, no we question. Americans uh, have lost our sense of justice. That we have a right to demand justice and to demand equity and fairness. And we're hypnotized by the power of these uh, these oligarchs, these gods of money, and they're not gods. They're pathetic people. David Rockefeller, I read recently, as he's 100 years old, and he's just undergone his sixth heart transplant, human heart huh. transplant. You know, and wow. he's still the leader of the clan. He's still the chairman of the board of America Incorporated. And, uh, you know, what, what, what are we dealing with here? These are, are people loveless people who have never had in their lives, from all indications, any sense of being a worthwhile, good human being, but they take their, their sense of power from, from us. We give it to them. We give it to them. Uh, there, there was a very, uh, a very courageous president who gave his life, I think, and, I, and I'm wondering, as reading in your book, you talked a moment ago about how Congress has the right to, uh, to, to create money, uh, not a private corporation. In our Constitution, it says that very clearly. Uh, and President Kennedy put that to the test, I believe. Uh, you, very interestingly, in your book, comment about Executive Order 11110, uh, yes. And how that was used, in fact, 
uh, to give the power back to Congress. I think it was based on the on the silver reserves that the Congress then could issue for every ounce a dollar of silver. And interestingly enough, you know, I recall I have a five dollar silver certificate from back around that time, and I wasn't. Uh-huh. I was putting this together. I was thinking, yeah, I mean, thanks to John Kennedy, probably I have that. That was, and you mentioned in your book that before, shortly before he was assassinated, the Treasury was ready to issue ten and twenty dollar silver certificates as well. But of course, then mm-hmm. after he, after Kennedy was murdered, it never happened. Uh, yep. Talk to us a little bit about you. You think this is uh, the oligarchy take, making sure that they retain control? Do you think that that is likely the reason that Kennedy was killed? I think that's a reason. I think Vietnam was another reason. Kennedy did not want a land ground war in Vietnam. He was very, very clear to that to his closest intimates. Uh, and the military industrial complex did not want that. Wall Street did not want it. David Rockefeller wrote uh, a very public editorial in the Wall Street Journal in the New York Times at that time opposing the Kennedy Silver so there were many different uh, factions. The CIA, Alan Dulles was fired by Kennedy for the Bay of Pigs fiasco done behind Kennedy's back. Also, uh, uh, various other things. And Kennedy wanted to dismantle the CIA, you know, tear the damn thing down. And uh, lots of the secret government and conspiracies and cabals and MKUltra drug experiments with the human victims and so forth. So uh, I think there's a complex of reasons that converged on, on uh, Kennedy's assassination. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, part of that complex, he hated the Kennedys. Well, we're we're having a little difficulty hearing you now. The the uh, connection is not very good. We're going to really want to have you back uh, sometime. Perhaps do a pre-recording with you when we get a really good connection because you have so much to talk about. If we can hear, uh, we got my engineers telling me a couple of minutes left. But uh, if we can hear your answer, I think you also indicated that perhaps President Lincoln also uh, was trying to do much the same thing at some point in time. Do you think that's the reason he was? Uh, he had an early exit from this world. Well, the the Rothschild group out of London uh, was directly connected to John Wilkes Booth uh, and the uh, Lincoln assassination. So I think that that was perhaps a factor. Uh, very likely a connection uh, to yeah. that uh, as well. Well, it was, it was certainly uh, what you don't want to do. And we've seen I've had Ron Paul on this show and uh, somebody that I've known for many many years who stood up. Uh, you know, uh, audit the Fed and and wants to uh, get rid of the Federal Reserve, get rid of the IRS and those issues, those institutions that you believe are unconstitutional. But uh, yeah, you know, they they certainly would take uh, certainly did a job on Ron Paul. They didn't cause him to exit this world uh, prematurely. Perhaps he didn't have enough power yet, but they made darn sure he didn't because of the way they treated him uh, in his yeah. campaign. I think uh, they will. They will do it kindly if they can keep control without bloodshed, but they must keep control, it seems to me. That's, that's the message that well, I get. The, the, uh, one thing I should add here for your listeners, they are losing control everywhere in the world over the last, I'd say the last three years. The Arab Spring is not working for them. Syria is not working for them. Ukraine is a complete 
catastrophe for them. The sanctions against Russia are backfiring in their face. Uh, China is not working for them. They're they're <coughs> they're right, well, the gods of money are naked. Well, William, we're we're going to have to get you back on again. My engineer is telling me we are out of time. Uh, my apologies. Okay. Uh, I, I really want to have you back on, and when we get a, a really good clear, uh, a, a good clearing, a good clear hearing of you, because uh, it's unfortunate yeah. we, uh, you faded in and out of us uh, with us today. But I do okay. want to have you back on because you have so much valuable things to tell us. It's the gods of money, folks. Look it up. Buy the book. It's a must-read. William Angdell will look forward to having you on again very soon. Thank you very much. Well, folks, that's all the time for Thank this you. week. Next week, we're going to have David Kranzler, and I think Robert McHugh is going to join me as well. Uh, both of these guests should be, uh, should be excellent guests to talk about the markets and what's going on right now. Uh, so you won't want to miss next week. Thanks to our sponsors, Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, and all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. 